Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It's grass court season. You can only say that about, like, two weeks out of the year, and then it's Wimbledon. Uh, But this is it. This is really the only Monday Match Analysis that covers grass court tournaments. Uh, Congratulations to Hugo Humbert and Matteo Berrettini. The former, the champion in Halle, the latter, the champion at the Queen's Club in West Kensington, London. Uh, Both of them very impressive throughout the week. And normally I break down strategy on Monday match analysis and and tactics and match flow and things like that. But I actually want to talk about technique this week on MMA. I want to talk about Berrettini's serve, uh, talking about uh, Umber's ground strokes and why they're so good for grass. Uh, But first, something that I know is very coveted, highly anticipated. There's only one a year. You know, French Open, we have about four, five installments of the French Open power rankings. But for Wimbledon, I only get one crack at this. One. And that is how we will start the show with the the, uh, 2021 Wimbledon power rankings. It is June 21st. 2021. Uh, That will be the only edition of the Wimbledon Power Rankings. But in all honesty, this is by far the most difficult power rankings I've ever had to come up with. Uh, This is, uh, these are very unique circumstances. And uh, I probably had to rely more on feel than results for these rankings uh, more than any other power rankings I've ever done. Obviously, Wimbledon was not held in 2020. But as it is, we get so little grass court tennis. So the sample size is minuscule. So a PSA, b- before I even get into this, because whenever I do power rankings, I get a lot of comments that say, well, how could you have so-and-so at this ranking because they've never been past the quarterfinal at the U.S. Open or the or the French Open? And I, I do think that there is a fundamental, sometimes, a lack of understanding that the idea of this is not to reflect the past, but to project the future. That is to say that past results, while they, they can indicate what is going to happen, they often do not. And it's, it's all about being predictive. There is no tournament that this will likely be more true than Wimbledon. When, if you're going off two years ago, 2019 Wimbledon, if those are the results you're going off of to try to get an idea of what's going to happen in 2021, you're probably going to be pretty far off because a lot changes in two years. And there are exceptions, and there are certainly, especially at the very top when it comes to someone like Novak Djokovic, who has this massive and and very long track record. We know how good he is on grass. You know, that would be an exception. But for everyone else, there's not a lot of good grass court resumes in the field here. There just aren't. And a lot of them, a lot of the players who do have good grass court resumes, they won't be factors here. In 2021, it's going to make for a fascinating tournament. I cannot wait. Uh, again, difficult. This is difficult uh, to to try to come up with something that makes sense here. But I had to follow my heart here and rely a lot on my feel. All right, we will begin with the Wimbledon Power Rankings on June 21st, and we'll start with the four players who just didn't make the cut: Felix Oje Aliassime, Alex Dimonor. Marin Cilic, and big American server John Isner. 
So let's go through these players one by one here to kick off our Wimbledon power rankings. Let's start with Marin Cilic. Stuttgart champion was very, very impressive there. Took out uh, Nicolas Basilashvili, uh, Chapo, and FAA. That's a great run. And Cilic's career win percentage on grass is excellent. 71%. That makes it his best surface by quite a bit of distance. He's got instant offense off both wings, hits absolutely huge, flattens the ball out, can go big down the line. You uh, add in his massive first serve, and you have a really great grass court player. I also think he moves well on the surface. The way he's very light on his feet and makes a lot of small adjustment steps tends to be a good way to move on grass. Very effective. Uh, however, since Marin Cilic suffered a very surprising defeat to Guido Pela at Wimbledon 2018, he has never been the same. That was really the turning point in Marin Cilic's career, and that marked the start of his decline. He was one of the favorites at Wimbledon that year, and he was expected to do really big things, and that loss to Pella was kind of inexplicable. He comes back the next year, 2019, loses to Zhao Souza. That's two losses at the All England Club in his last two appearances that should not have happened, and he is a better player, with all due respect, to those two uh, with those two competitors, uh, he should be beating both of those. So it's been two rough goes in a row. Ultimately, I think his decline has been characterized by two things more than, than anything else. And yes, physically, he's a little bit less agile and doesn't move as well as he did, but nerve management and an ineffective second serving with too many double faults and not enough heaviness, those have been the main sources of Marin Cilic's struggles. But the grass can really help him to think less on the court, shorten points, play the ball, uh, you know, not let the the overthinking and the nerves get in the way because it's it, it really can be a very simple brand of tennis for Marin Cilic. And his game is still big. You don't lose the power. And that's why Marin Cilic can be dangerous at Wimbledon. But I don't see any reason to say, to think that some of the, the things that have plagued him over the last two to three years can't plague him on the grass at Wimbledon just the same as they have uh, over, that, over this period of time. John Isner, he's taken a less is more approach to his scheduling, skipped the Australian Open because he didn't want to quarantine, didn't want to be away from his family. And quite frankly, he's come back and looked pretty rejuvenated. Nine and five in 2021. He's looking way better than he did last year in 2020. A 2018 semifinalist at Wimbledon, but his results have not been consistent at the All England Club. If that's the only thing you remember for John, well, that's because you're forgetting losses to Duty Sela and Mikhail Kukushkin. Those are both recent. He hasn't been great at this tournament. I think the low bounce has really given him trouble. That and also maybe just a little bit of PTSD from the Mahu match. Uh, and I, I use that term... I don't mean to trivialize that, but you know what I mean. It's like uh, he, I think he, when he doesn't break serve and he's going into a lot of tie breaks, I just wonder if there's mental scarring uh, from that match. And uh, But ultimately, his serve and how good he's looked this year lands him on this list. He has to be considered one of the dangerous players at this tournament. Alex Dimonor, this is a player who needs grass-like conditions in order to be a top 20 player um, on tour. But when the conditions are right, he's shown to be very, very dangerous. He just produces so much more offense off the ground on low bouncing, quick 
surfaces. He has very, very flat ground strokes, but is able to take the ball very early and rush the net behind his ground strokes, and that's how he's able to produce a lot of offense. He moves extremely well on the grass. He's highly experienced on the surface for his age. If you look at his challenger uh, results especially, whenever he has a chance to play a grass challenger early in his career, he did so. So he's really accumulated, despite his young age, a large number of matches on this surface. Um, as I kind of alluded to, he's a high-level volleyer. He's one of the players who will come forward behind his offense. It's going to be hard because his ball is going to stay low, uh, and you're going to have to come up with some passes, and slice defense is not really going to be an, uh, an option because if Demonor sees you switch to continental grip, he sees that you're going to slice, he's going to be in on the net. And I love that about his grass court game. He'll also mix in some serve and volleying. And speaking of the serve, he's an underrated spot server. Doesn't serve very big, which really hampers his serve effectiveness on a surface like clay. Um, but on grass, he can get good run out of his first serve. And ultimately, while he's less likely to get overpowered on grass, he still can get overpowered by some opponents. I would be concerned if he faced a big server early in this tournament, but I think that ADM, this is the kind of tournament, let's see what he's made out of, because I would say he's lacking in big results at big tournaments uh, thus far in his career, but this is an opportunity for him on Wimbledon. I think that he's more natural on grass than a lot of the other players in the field. Lastly, you have Felix Auger-Aliassime. 14-5 and five career record on grass. He's never lost in the first round in a grass court tournament. I just think it's much easier easier for the Canadian to kind of blast through the court without having to execute too many shots in the rally. I think the longer you drag out a rally with FAA, the more likely it is that he misfires, that he makes an error, and the more he has to think about constructing the point and finding offense. Uh, and, you know, sometimes he's just indecisive about his shot selection, about whether or not to come to net. And that really hurts him. On grass, it's very simple. I'm going to take the ball very early. I'm going to hit it very hard. I'm going to hit close to the line. And it's pretty much impossible to kind of defend Felix's firepower, especially on the forehand side. It leads to just quick points, quick offense, and FAA becomes a very dangerous player. Uh, that forehand is so good for grass. Because he generates a lot of power despite having a short backswing. And he reminds me of Roger Federer in that sense. He just doesn't have the consistency that the Federer forehand has. And not even really close. Uh, serving can be very effective. He has a great slice serve. And I think his serve has looked very, very good. That first serve thus far in uh, grass court season. Right now he's confident. And if he's confident, he's dangerous. But I do worry about how fickle that confidence can be when it comes to Felix Auger-Aliassime. Coming in at number 10 is Dominic Team. Team has lost in the first round at back-to-back -back Wimbledons, but he did have to retire in 2018 in his match against Marcos Bagdadis. And Query was a brutal draw. He also made the fourth round in 2017. Plus, in that fourth round match, he gave Thomas Burdick, uh, a pretty tough match, a five-set match. So team's grass court resume isn't quite as bad as it seems, in my opinion. But obviously, it is his worst surface. And this would just be a strange time for team to turn things around. Uh, he is playing in Mallorca this week. Let's see how that goes. Um, you know, 
all in all, I think I've talked a lot about Dominic Team's struggles. He's just not playing with the same explosiveness that he did in 2020. I think that that can be uh, mental and physical. Physical. He just needs to regain both the emotional and the physical fitness, and it's just a matter of when he's able to do that and how long it takes. Uh, but to do that while figuring out how he's going to improve his return on grass— that seems like a, a pretty tough task. He comes in at number 10 because he's still Dominic Team, And I I just emphasize the idea that, you know, surfaces make a difference, but it, they make a limited difference. And when it comes to a player as good as Dominic Team, he's not going to be the 30th best player in the draw. Um, unless he's really comes out flat and he's just not, you know, when, if he's really a shell of himself, that's a different story. Uh, but I think if he gets a friendly draw and he can kind of work into things, uh, I still think, you know, he's got the talent. Uh, he, he has, he has the shot making and the ball striking, uh, to, to do things on this surface. He's kind of a non-threat though, to win it. I just don't think he has, he's developed the tools yet. Uh, to to win on a surface where he's often going to be rushed. He has to figure out the return of serve. He's not serving well enough either to to really be a major threat at this event. But I think just because he's Dominic Team, would it absolutely stun me if he went deep in this tournament? No, not really. Coming in at number nine is Hugo Umber. Umber was a guy who coming into 2021, I was singing his praises. I was hyping him up. He was my player to watch. And what did he do? He made me look like an idiot for the first half of this year because he, it was a struggle for the Frenchman uh, probably until this week, until Hala, when he is the champion there. And I'll talk about him a little bit more after I get through this power ranking. But he beat Sam Query, Alexander Zverev, Sebastian Korda, Felix Auger-Aliassime, and Andre Rublev in the final. That is an absolute gauntlet. That is not a friendly draw. That is a difficult draw. Those are good grass court players, every single one of them. And Umber just comes through a bunch of three setters until four three setters until beating Andre Rublev in the final. A, a very impressive performance. Uh, Umber is an extremely crafty spot server. I love how he mixes up his spots. I love how many serves he has. The lefty, the classic lefty slider is excellent. It's very good. It's effective. It pulls uh, opponents far off the court. It's got so much slice on it, but he also uses it as a body serve, mixes locations uh, and and kind of attacks the, the righty forehand hip. He can flatten it out and go T. He can hit flat to the body. Uh, he just has tremendous variation on his serve. He's a good spot server, and he, it it's extremely effective on grass. He doesn't have massive pop on his serve. It's the way he mixes up spots, and it's the way he's able to kind of toggle between his flat serve and his slice serve, and he deploys it so well. It makes him deadly as a server, and then he has great precision off of both ground strokes, which he hits both pretty flat, very early, and very aggressive. His short stroke mechanics allow him to redirect the ball very, very well. He's got good timing, and again, he's taking the ball early. He's stripping you of time. 
Uh, it's just a, a tremendous combination on grass courts. Well, we've seen him have success on grass before. Uh, had a good showing at Wimbledon in 2019. Took out two seeds, Gail Monfils, who is really bad on grass, but Felix Auger-Aliassime ultimately lost to Novak Djokovic. Clearly has the weapons to scare anyone on this surface. And we saw at the end of 2020 when he was on the quicker hard courts uh, and on the indoor hard courts uh, of like Paris where he beat Stefano Tsitsipas, we saw how dangerous he is in these kinds of conditions. So Umber comes in at number nine. I find him to be a very, very dangerous player. Coming in at number eight is Roberto Bautista Agut, RBA as we like to call him. Someone who is tried and tested in best of five. Um... Besides the strange Australian Open loss this year to Radu Alba, uh, RBA has had a pretty solid year. Often he bounces back from difficult and kind of average to mediocre clay court season. Then he bounces back with a strong Wimbledon because clay is his worst surface. But uh, on grass, he's 15 and 6 lifetime. Or excuse me, actually not, not on grass, but at Wimbledon, he's 15 and 6 lifetime. A uh, semifinal result in 2019. Two fourth rounds as well in his career. RBA is someone who prefers low contact points and has flat strokes, so works very well on grass. He's also an underrated spot server, lacks the power on the serve, but hits his spots. Great for grass. And the surface just, quite frankly, makes up for his lack of power. Um, at 33, you do wonder when his endurance might fall off. I don't think it's now. I think he still has the goods to go deep in majors, but at some point or another, we'll probably see with RBA what we saw with like a David Ferrer. You can't play that style of tennis forever. When the body starts to wear down, you can no longer be, be effective, but I still think RBA has a little bit left, and I think uh, he... This is the point in his career where he needs to make the most out of these opportunities um, on his favorite surfaces in best of five formats. And again, the field is very green. Wow, no pun intended. I mean green as in inexperienced. But of course, with grass, you got a nice little pun there. Uh, can RBA take advantage? Because he is one of the best grass court resumes in the field. No surprise for me. If RBA goes as far as the semifinal in, in in this tournament, but he would need a miracle draw to go all the way and win it. At number seven is Andre Rublev, someone who uh, I think has a really great game for grass. I uh, love his aggressive mindset, the fact that he'll never really wait for his opponent uh, to to really, or, or give them a chance to, to do something. He's going to take short balls. He's going to attack them with vigor. Uh, he's going to take initiative. He's going to take the ball early. He's going to redirect down the line, but it's, it's very high margin. He hits to small targets with great consistency. His serve effectiveness is probably still an underrated part of, of his game. He's developed a really nice uh, flat serve and it kind of abandoned him on clay. He just wasn't getting much, many free points or a lot of effectiveness out of his serve. But now that he's back on the grass, he should be getting nice uh, plus one opportunities, free points and aces on the grass. It's going to help him a lot. And again, he's generally towards the top of the tour when it comes to first serve points win percentage. And that's a good stat to have on your side when you hit the grass because it it means you're probably going to be pretty tough to break. The grass is going to help you uh, keep that number up. 
Uh, he made the Halle final this week. Lost to Hugo Umber. Uh, and that made his tour level grass record eight and four, but he still lacks a high quality win. So if you're going to look at uh, Rublev's grass court resume, or at this point, even his Grand Slam resume, you're not going to see much of an indication that he's a threat to go deep in this tournament. I'd be a little bit worried about his returning against big servers in week one. I'm starting to question if Rublev needs to work on some lower risk, higher margin returning. He is getting a little bit overpowered, not getting enough returns in play against the bigger servers. Uh, but if he settles in in this draw, I think there's a decent chance that this can be his first Grand Slam semifinal, that this can be his breakout. I think that the surface suits him well. Uh, he's played seven non-clay events this year, and he's made four finals. It's only a matter of time before his success, his tremendous success in the smaller events is going to translate to the larger events. He's going to have his Grand Slam breakthrough. It's just a matter of when. Feels like Stefano Tsitsipas the last couple of years. Until now, now we're talking and he's made three straight slam semifinals. The same thing will happen with Rublev. It, it will translate. His game is not ready to go all the way. His game isn't ready to win a major yet, but at some point he's going to pass that quarterfinal stage at a slam. I, th I think this is a decent chance for him. I think it could be here. Coming in at number six is Stefanos Tsitsipas. I'm sure some of you have the Greek higher in your power rankings, which of course I encourage you to always comment your power rankings. Um, let's see what you got. Uh, we can compare. We can contrast. Um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of a lot of people have Tsitsipas higher, and this is where I think things get pretty tricky, and you're going to see a lot of differing opinions. But um, I. My thing with Tsitsipas is this. 3-3 three and three record, Wimbledon main draws, but he did get in uh, as a qualifier in 2017. His best win is a five-setter against Jared, Jared Donaldson in 2018. And uh, his 2019 loss to uh, uh, Tomas Fabiano was stunning, to say the least. So the grass court uh, resume is bad, but that's not really what I'm putting all my stock into. Uh, it's really just about his return and his backhand defense, which just get much, much worse on quicker surfaces. He still has the standout forehand. He's great moving forward. Tremendous transition game. Athletic at the net. Covers a lot of court um, or covers a lot of the net. Although sometimes that's difficult on grass because you don't have that footing. Um but there's also the fatigue factor. Could he be mentally fatigued from Roland Garros in clay, in clay season when he went deep in pretty much every single tournament? And now he has two weeks to kind of attempt to recharge. No time to really settle in. And Wimbledon can be a tournament for someone who doesn't return well on the slick courts. We've seen it can be dangerous for a lot of players in the early rounds. So I really don't think Stefano Tsitsipas will struggle on grass for his entire career. I don't. I just think that this season might be a tough one for him. On the heels of this clay court season, on a surface that exacerbates his weaknesses, 
it, it feels like this might not be the year. I think he needs time. I think he needs matches and more experience on the grass. He needs to figure out a return strategy that's going to work. I always think this transition from clay to grass might be difficult for him. And I don't know that he's ready to, to really master what it's going to take for him to be successful on the surface. Again, like I, I think that he's going to hold serve, but he's got to break serve. And his break percentage gets pretty bad when you put him on the fastest surfaces on tour. He's had some success on the quicker surfaces. So, you know, uh, we'll see. And I think he's still dangerous. And I think he's still a threat. But I have him. Uh, I have I have other players um, ahead of him. One of those players coming in at number five is Matteo Berrettini. The trendy pick. The trendy Wimbledon dark horse pick, I think, right now. Berrettini has excelled on grass for his entire career. He's one of those players who has the grass court resume that that really stands out among the, the field and especially his, his peers, his young uh, 20 to 25-year-old peers. Overall record, 21-6. and six, Two titles on the surface. Just added one this week. One Queens. More on the run later. Right now, Berrettini is possibly the hottest server on tour, and along with his forehand, which is one of the best weapons in men's tennis, just transcends the sur surface. Just transcends it. Doesn't matter what surface you put him on, the forehand is a problem. On grass, however, he gets to play shorter rallies. Uh, he doesn't really have to hit as many backhands if he doesn't get into those rallies, although it is harder for him to run around and hit forehands when he does get into the rallies. Double-edged sword there, but ultimately the shorter rallies, uh, they it's hard for opponents to really expose his movement like they might if, they, if they're able to drag him into rallies more. And speaking of the backhand, he's enjoyed the ability to use his slice on grass to kind of protect his backhand side a little bit better than he's able to on other surfaces. But Matteo Berrettini is still not a complete player. And while I think he's as much of a lock to make the quarterfinals as anyone with his brutal serve plus one game, his ability to put returns in play... I just think that there are issues for him when it comes to beating the elite. He still needs to figure out ways to break serve. And with his shortcomings when it comes to his movement and his defense and the fact that he does not really hit offensive or pressure-inducing returns, I just... I just don't see him as someone who's very good at breaking serve against the best player on tour. And then there's going to be some returners who are skilled enough to drag Matteo Berrettini into rallies. And I just still, I don't see him winning those rallies. I think against the elite players, anyone who's able to return well enough to drag him into the rallies, I think that they are going to win those rallies. So I see Berrettini as an overwhelming player in certain aspects, but... He's just not complete, and that's why I have him at number five. And I know some people will hype him up, and they will say, well, he might be, after Djokovic, he's a huge threat. He might make the final. You know, if Novak loses, look out. Berrettini could win Wimbledon. I'm, I'm just not quite there on him. It wouldn't surprise me if he made the semifinal. That's why he's number five, right? It wouldn't surprise me even if he made the final. But something just tells me, is he, is he ready to you know, actually do this and, and pull off 
a win over some of the players who I have above him in this power ranking? I don't know. I think that they're able to use their better all-court games, all-around games, uh, two-way games, offense, defense, serve, movement. They just have more tools than Berrettini, and I don't know how he fares against those players. Coming in at number four is Alexander Zverev. Look, Zverev has not had success at Wimbledon. Eight and five career record. 2019 round one loss to grass court specialist Yuri Vesely. Uh, only really in Zverev's strong 2017 season did he have a good run. He made the fourth round there and he uh, lost to Milos Raonic in five sets. That was a respectable run. And you could make an argument that in 2018 and 2019, Zverev was really not in good form by the time he came to Wimbledon. So maybe we shouldn't take as much stock in, in those results. And then and then there was no tournament in 2020. So that's probably how Zverev would rationalize his poor results on at Wimbledon. But the thing with Zverev is very simple. You cannot afford to be defensive on grass. You just can't have it. And that could actually work for or against Zverev. I do see a world where that actually helps Alexander. I think on clay, where you can be defensive and have a lot of success and, and neutralize a lot of offense... Well, maybe that is a problem for Zverev because he he relies on it too much. He falls back on it too much. Maybe on a surface where he knows he has to be aggressive. Maybe that'll bring out his best tennis. Maybe. Or what we've seen in the past is not, and it hasn't. And if he's not willing to really do things with his forehand and hit it down the line, which is not his best shot, but not just go cross court and not be passive and really look to hurt his opponents anytime he gets a chance off the ground. Um, if he doesn't do that, he's very vulnerable. I don't think he likes the low bounce either. It's something to keep in mind, and I think that's hurt him in the past. Uh, but the key is the first serve. He, he has a great first serve. He has excellent defensive returning. He absorbs pace well. So I'd have trouble seeing Zverev getting upset early in this tournament. It could happen, uh, but but I, I'd have trouble seeing that. Um, another thing that kind of bumps him down, besides the fact that I just don't know if he's going to bring the right brand of tennis, the right style of tennis, is I just still don't think he's ready mentally right now to to win a major. I still think he's searching for that big win, and I think he, he needs it probably in a quarterfinal or a semifinal uh, before he gets it maybe in a final. Uh, I just think that there's growth for him right now when he feels pressure, when he feels an occasion. I don't know that he's ready to really handle those moments yet. So that uh, th that bumps him down in the power rankings for me. Uh, but he does come in at number four. I think if he plays his best tennis, he's very dangerous at this event. Coming in at number three is Roger Federer. It's going to be a guy who I know is going to have a huge range. I think that a lot of people will have him much, much lower than I do. And I was really considering a wide range of outcomes when it comes to Roger Federer. But um, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to the eight-time champion, someone who's made the final in four of his last six appearances at the All England Club. I don't need to go back to the mid... Uh, you know, I don't need to go back to the late... two. 
uh, 2000s or the early 2010s to find good Wimbledon results for Roger Federer. It's been a pretty steady flow of solid Wimbledon results for Roger Federer. Uh, the one loss, really, that that sticks out, the quarterfinal loss to Kevin Anderson. He had a hand injury and really was hitting his forehand awful, awful in that match. And I think it was because he was just flat out injured. So there's really not a lot of precedent for Roger Federer struggling at this tournament, plain and simple. Fitness was a huge question mark for Roger coming into Roland Garros, and it, it did prove to be a factor as he fatigued at the end of the Kepfer match, managed to win anyway, but ultimately withdrew before his next round. But grass will give him shorter points and favorable weather, unlikely to be hot and humid uh, in London. Plus, it's two weeks later, and the assumption is that Roger Federer is has continued to improve his fitness throughout this time. In terms of peak level, Federer has shown some good stuff. He's proven to be pretty strong, except for his serve, which has just not been on the level that it needs to be. So that's something that I kind of went back and forth on in my head. And should I should I dock Roger Federer? Should I put him further down in the power rankings because his serve hasn't been good? I don't know. I, I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I would... I would think that he would figure it out. It's one of the greatest serves in the history of the game. Um, and I just, I, I could see him figuring out, figuring it out more than I could see him just not finding it and, you know, getting punished on by aggressive returners uh, at Wimbledon. So we will see what happens with his serve. The FAA loss doesn't concern me too much. I think Felix played great tennis and I just can't really see Federer breaking mentally that easily again. A uh, part of me wants to look at this season and say, look, Federer hasn't shown us anything to make us believe that he can make a Wimbledon semifinal. He hasn't. That's totally the truth. He has not shown us a single morsel of results that would suggest that he's ready to make a Wimbledon semifinal. But again, I need to be predictive, not reactive. And counting this guy out at this tournament seems like a terrible idea. So Roger Federer comes in at number three. At number two is Daniil Medvedev. Again, this is not based on resume. This is not based on past results. This is about his tools, his weapons, and how I think they should translate or could translate onto this surface in these conditions. That's all. Um, I was a little bit concerned that Medvedev's insanely bad clay court results were going to make it difficult for him to have confidence coming into grass season and that he would have to flip that switch and that was going to be very difficult. But the Roland Garros performance was good enough, for sure good enough, that I think Medvedev will come into the tournament feeling ready to do big, big things. And the thing I really want to highlight more than anything else with Medvedev is his results in grass court-like conditions. Hard courts that share traits with grass courts. And I know nothing's like a grass court, especially when it comes to movement. And that's what is really different uh, from the, the events that I'm about to rattle off. But if, if I'm looking at events that are low bouncing and fast, oh my God, Medvedev hasn't just been good. He's been ridiculous. He's been absurdly good at fast low-bouncing conditions. Australian Open finalist, ATP Finals champion, Shanghai champion, and then if I go back to 2019, Cincinnati champion. 
Those are the results that came to my head. What are results that are kind of like Wimbledon? Because we haven't seen Medvedev play Wimbledon since he became Daniil Medvedev in the summer of 2019. We've just, that was a post Wimbledon kind of surge, resurgence. We haven't seen him play the event since then. Well, those are the events. He's won all of them except the Australian Open, made the final there. Big serve, gets rewarded on grass. Flat ground strokes penetrate through the court. Displays tremendous pace, pace absorption, including on the return. Redirects incredibly well. Times the ball really well. Hits with great depth. The only question in my mind is if his movement is natural on the surface. And if he's moving well, if he's able to defend a little bit like he can on hard court, I believe he's Novak Djokovic's biggest threat. Novak Djokovic comes in at number one. And there's little debate about this. And I think there's a really pretty big gap between Djokovic and everyone else. Because I think that a lot of people will have different opinions about who's going to come in at number two and, and all that good stuff. But I don't think there's going to be much debate about number one. It's Novak Djokovic. If you discount the 2017 withdrawal that Novak had against Tomas Burdich, Djokovic has won Wimbledon four out of the last five times he's played it. He is by far and away the best mover and defender on grass at the moment, the way he is so balanced and agile and has strong enough ankles to slide into his defensive shots on the surface, to hit open stance backhand like low lasers. Um, the, the, his defense stays very low, which makes it so difficult to attack. Um, obviously, the return can bother a lot of the success that that players have on grass where they you can see them tear through the tournament with their serve until they hit Novak and then suddenly their serve just isn't working as well and we saw the same thing with with Andy Murray who I think is a good comparison for Novak on grass um although Novak's a better version of it and uh, I can't ignore the improvements that Novak has made on serve this season which should really help. I mean, look, they've helped him so much in Australia now, two years in a row, hitting his second serve as a slice serve over 100 miles per hour. Just such a good second serve. And then in Australia this year, especially flattening out the serve, hitting the number of aces he did, and how, just how clutch his serving has been as well. Really, really uh, clutch serving from Novak because he's a clutch player. And I think that that could really come out here on these grass courts. He will need to manage his fatigue after a tough Roland Garros run. Of course, he can't get injured, but he seems to be having a great time in Mallorca, having the kind of loose and really just vacation-like week, uh, but but still staying sharp at the same time. The, the perfect week, it seems, to prepare for Wimbledon, playing doubles only in Mallorca. And right now, Novak is motivated by making history. And whenever he's determined... He's extremely mentally tough and just has that it factor when it comes to his mental game. So Novak, far and away, um, number one in the 2021 Wimbledon power rankings. All right. Um, I know I went long there. I just wanted to be really thorough. This is the only power rankings we will do. Um, and it was kind of the meat of this video. So now I will get to the... Uh, Umber and Berrettini and a couple of technical breakdowns here. And I'll start with Hugo Umber 
And believe me, I will get to the Frenchman, but I just want to make a general point first. And it's the difference in plus one play between clay and grass. And as we transition surfaces, I want to highlight this difference and it'll lead me to you go on bear nicely. And I talked a lot about uh, over the clay court season, the plus one forehands, especially with Rafa Nadal's success and Stefano Tsitsipas's success and even Berrettini's success. A, a lot of talk about the plus one forehand and how important it is on a clay court. I want to... Um, Highlight the technical differences. So what's important when it comes to plus one play on clay? I would say heaviness and generation of pace. You probably heard me say that so much over the last couple of months. Heaviness and generation of pace. Well, on grass, I would I would say it's not heaviness and generation of pace. It's time, taking away time, and location. Location, a combination of depth and... Um, and width. So how close to the lines are you really hitting? It's kind of kind of the, the crux of it. Take away time, put the ball in a good spot, redirect. You're going to be in a good place on grass. You don't need the pace. You don't need the heaviness because the ball is going to rip through the court regardless. So if you take time away and you put it in the corner and you put it near the, close to the lines, you are going to... You're gonna have you're gonna have results there. You don't need to hit it as big as you do on clay. So the execution of that is manifested like so. On clay, what's important to generate the heaviness and the pace generation? Racket head acceleration. That's what's important. On grass, it's different. Short backswing leads to great timing. That's gonna be the key. Short backswing, great timing. That's how you're going to take the ball early and hit close to the lines. Doesn't help depth, but when it comes to redirecting the ball, that's going to be the key. So let's watch Hugo Umber here on the ad side, serving out wide. He's going to serve out wide, and then he's going to get a cross-court return, and now he has a chance to take the ball early, redirect down the line, and if he plays close to the line which he does, he doesn't need to hit it hard. It's going to be a winner because the ball's going to come back back at him fast on a grass court, and it's going to come, you know, as long as he just redirects that pace and puts it in a good spot, it's going to be a winner. So here it is. Umber hits a wide serve. Now I want you to watch his take back if you're watching on video. It's so short. It's barely a swing, right? And it's a winner. Um, you know, I'm not showing the whole thing just for, for copyright purposes. So that's why I'm just zoomed in on Umber. But but look at this take back. I mean, it is so compact. And the simplicity and the shortness of that take back makes it so that even though Rublev is probably hitting like an 80 mile per hour return here, Umber is still going to be able to take it early, redirect down the line into the open court. The grass court game is played at such a fast pace. If you're able to redirect, um, you get great results. Um, and I would say the same thing is true about Bear's backhand. Uh, he has the same ability to keep the ball short. And he hits it cross court a little bit better than he hits at line. But he hits precise and he takes it early. And it's just a perfect grass court swing that Umber has. And he's got the plus one play. Um, is so effective because he has that slice serve to take the the player off the court and then to just follow it up 
with the the brilliant precision that he has hitting to the open court. It's one of the best combinations in tennis on a grass court, in my opinion. When it comes to Hugo Umber's run, though, all in all in Hala, he deserves massive props just for the gauntlet that he got through. Sam Queries, Verev Korda, FAA, Rublev, I went through it in the power ranking. Uh, but also, let's let's just hand it to his endurance before I get to Berrettini. Um, Umber just ended a 12-match losing streak for players who won four out of four matches in three sets and route to a final. So I know that's a little bit muddy. Let me just repeat it. 12 players reached a final having played every match, winning every match in three sets. 12 players in a row lost the final. Ultimately because, or presumably because, they were out of steam. They were out of gas. Um, Umber, with a tremendous final against Rublev, breaks that streak. The last player to win four out of four matches all in three sets was another marathon man in Gilles Simone. Gilles Simone doesn't get tired. We all know that. Skin and bones, weighs about 50 pounds, never gets tired. 2008, he won Indianapolis. That was the last time someone's done it. Umber's got endurance. Also, skinny guy. Fights very hard, can run very long. I project him as a good best-of-five player, and that's another reason why I like him for Wimbledon. I think he's dangerous. Um, I noticed the same things in Antwerp. He run, he won a couple of marathons, so um, he's someone who can go really, really long. Let us move on to Matteo Berrettini, who has won Queens and is in incredible form. And, I, you know, the simplest way to characterize Matteo Berrettini's run in Queens is this. Nobody could return his serve. Nobody could return it. That's it. It was so, so dominant. First serve points, one percentage. Let me read them off here. Just incredible. Uh, Travaglia in the first round, 81%. Murray in the second round, 83%. Dan Evans in the third round, 81%. That was the quarterfinal. Demon in the semifinal, 89% first serve points won. And then the best performance yet in the final against Cam Nori, 91% first serve points won. Unreturned percentage, just as impressive. Above 50% in every match. It was 50%, 58%, 51%, 57%, and 61%. So, he's not working very hard. He's just not. And then you take another chunk out of that, those return serves. How many of them is he just doing instant and lethal damage, point-ending damage off of his next forehand? Just an incredibly high amount. So he's got the the one-two punch, the one-two combination that most players on tour, on grass especially, are not good enough to defend against or neutralize, plain and simple. Um but I want to talk about his technique a little bit because he's serving as dominant as we can see a player here. And a lot of the time in the mid-130s and serving like a John Isner, like an Evo, a little bit lower than this level, just a teeny bit, but almost at the John Isner, Evo Karlovich level, certainly at the Kevin Anderson level, at the certainly at the, the Marin Cilic level, I'd say higher. Um you know, these these big servers, I don't know, Yerzy Yanovitz, the, these tall guys, Riley Opelka, 
Matteo Berrettini is only 6'5". That's where I'm going with this. He's 6'5". So his technique is worth examining because he is, yes, he's big. Yes, he's tall. But he's serving beyond his height potential. And that is worth examining. There's no doubt about it. He's six foot five. What's the key to his power? And look, I'm not the the foregone expert on technique, which is why I sometimes shy away from it. But I will tell you uh, what stands out to me when it comes to, to his technique and his power. Well, power, first of all, power is mass plus acceleration. Body mass plus acceleration. Well, he's got the mass. The mass is there. I actually don't know how, how much he weighs. I, I didn't get that. Um, it, should I should I do a quick Google search? Let's do it. Berrettini weight. Berrettini weight. 209. 209 pounds. Okay, there's the mass. Now it's about generating the racket speed. And when you put that together, and by the way, a lot of that mass is in the upper body. Um when you put that together, when you put together the racket speed and 209 pounds, that's where you're going to get the same kind of power that a six foot 10 guy has on the serve. Um, and to me, what stands out about his technique is how loose his, his arm is from his grip to his wrist, to his shoulder. There's no tension in his arm right up until acceleration. And when it's time to accelerate, now it goes fast, but until that point of acceleration, there's n absolutely no tension. And that's how to get the most out of those fast twitch muscle fibers. Uh, and I think that it's very uh, admirable and something that's worth trying to copy for younger players. So, so here it is, a close-up of that serve technique. Look how loose the wrist is. Uh, you can tell that he's simply not holding the racket very tight. And I would, you know, I'd be willing to bet that if, if you went to some random court anywhere in the world and picked out a bunch of club level players or junior level players, they're all gripping the racket a lot tighter than Matteo Berrettini is. I know it, it's very hard uh, for, for people to just loosen up here. I know it's, it's very difficult. And I do a, personally, I don't do a good job. I grip too tight. I'm too stiff. And that is not how to maximize your acceleration and your to get that whipping action out of your fast twitch muscle. Uh, Berrettini, and he does it on the forehand too. The fact that there's just no tension until that moment of acceleration. That is what stands out to me about Matteo Berrettini's technique. All right, this has been a long one. Um, video will, the next video will be, um, actually, you know what? I have a surprise video coming out on Wednesday, but of course, when the draw comes out, uh, I will have a Wimbledon preview. Uh, make sure you are subscribed to Monday match analysis on all podcast platforms. And you're following me on Twitter at Gil underscore gross. If you're not subscribed, of course, subscribe, comment, like the video. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe and I will see you next time.